Daniel Durning. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How do you feel? I feel really grateful. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here. Of course. Second day in a row. Yeah. We tried to record this yesterday and something weird happened. iCloud storage. It's unclear, but we're going to do it again today. We're going to do it better. We're only going to get better from here. We're only going to get better. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. I'm honored that you said yes to being on the podcast. You're one of my favorite humans on earth. So I'm just Thanks, grateful Pips. that Thanks, you're Biba. here. So why don't we tell our listeners how we know each other? So we initially met through work. We were both working for a startup. I was working there first. And then Dan went and applied for a job. I remember actually looking like I was somewhat involved in the recruiting process and hired you but hadn't met you met you on your first day and I was immediately like this human is next level I was like back then I was not the dating type I think I was like going on dates to try and like seem like I was you know the dating type but I was thinking I would probably just be a a single person which there's nothing wrong with that but when I met you, immediately after my meeting you, I was like, if I did ever decide to venture into the world of dating or like having a boyfriend or a partner, you would be the ultimate goal. Not like somebody that I would actually ever be able to date because you seemed so like, so next level, but like the person you would always wish you could be with. <laughs> that was my very chill first impression i remember i told my friend about it so the fact that we're not dating is just it's wild it's wild and so fun okay i'm gonna stop talking now do you want to share maybe how we started really bonding not not romantically but when our friendship really became like more more of a friendship not just a yeah work acquaintance yeah so yeah, we were friends. You were the first meeting I had on my first day of working in startups, um, which was really cool. I always remember that. I think it's very special. But yeah, fast forward like 11 months into that job working at the startup, had a meeting one day where like 30 of us were on a call and the founder was just like, yeah, sorry, everyone, we don't have money uh, to keep you on anymore. And so you're all effectively laid off and... Uh, sorry, but that's just how it goes. And quickly learned, like, not only what it feels like to get laid off, I had never gone through that experience before, uh, but what it's like sometimes to work at startups or, like, early-stage tech companies. Uh, they don't always become billion-dollar things, and they sometimes, you know, run out of money, uh, which is something that's necessary, I've discovered. Um, but it was a really beautiful experience, like very grateful, even though, you know, it was unfortunate we got laid off. It was really like the next stepping stone in my life and my career um, to go not only find somewhere new to work, but really to like step back and look at the connections and friendships I had uh, at this company. And Bibbs and I were both living in Chicago. And that day that we got laid off, um, I would say like really kicked off our friendship um, we were both, you know, distraught 
that, oh my goodness, we both just got laid off. We were both actually playing on the same volleyball team at North App Beach. Um, and so that night we ended up hanging out, playing volleyball together. And from there, I think for like several days over the next couple of weeks, we just would go do yoga with all the free time we had. Um, and so we would go to various points around Lake Michigan and just do yoga together. And it was a lot of fun. It was great to have someone else who was going through the same sort of trauma of getting laid off and losing, uh, you know, a job. But also, more importantly, like just fun to spend time with you. And I think we, we bonded a lot over our shared experience and um, our love for just being active and sort of doing stuff in the sunshine. Totally. Yeah, that was a sucky experience, but being able to go through it together definitely yeah. made it as good as it, as good as a shitty situation could have been. Very grateful that we stayed connected, mm-hmm. that we're now dating, we're now roomies, and now you're on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you about who you are and what you're doing here. So why don't we just start there? Why don't you introduce yourself tell the listeners in a few sentences who you are and what you're doing here yeah my name is daniel james darning thank you for the middle name i am a human being i'm a spiritual being having a human experience um no i'm uh i'm from massachusetts i am a scorpio and um I'm a person who loves learning. I think that's my favorite thing to do on earth, uh, followed closely by helping people. And I'm a person who doesn't have it all figured out, but is actively working on themselves and constantly in this process of Kaizen, Japanese word for continuous improvement. I think that's like my life philosophy is to just sort of embrace life, get a little bit better every day, uh, but recognizing that I'm never going to be perfect. Um, and that it's always a constant iteration upon myself uh, in my experience. Very passionate about um, the world in general, but specifically public policy, uh, issues of uh, injustice, uh, tech, sort of combining all of those things to try to create a better world. Um, Also a huge fan of nature, and whether that's oceans, lakes, mountains, I love it all. Love being in the sunshine. Um, And I like good people like yourself. Uh, I'm a very deep individual, and I feel like uh, I really love how deeply we can connect on life. Uh, So, yeah, that's a a little bit of who I am. Love it. Completely agree. As a Pisces and fellow water sign, I also consider myself to be a deep, mainly a deep feeler, but deep person so love connecting with you about all the deep yeah i'm excited to dive into all of this so why don't we back it up a bit so when i worked at my last company we had a very specific um method for interviewing folks i was like often involved in the recruiting process so i want to ask you a couple of questions from that interview format they were always my favorite question be questions because they're podcast like questions and you had made the suggestion that we talk a little bit about like childhood background kind of thing so I'm stealing those questions and now using them in an actual podcast which feels fun 
first question is, during your early years, so childhood age, pre-college, pre-high school even, who would you say were the biggest influences in your life during that time? Yeah, I would definitely say my family. Um, my mom and dad are just like two of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. Uh, they have so much love and compassion for me and my brother and everyone in our family, but also just human beings in general. Um, they really set amazing examples for my brother and I to look up to. Um, and we were all very close. We still are very close to this day. Um, so I would say my family, I would say, uh, lots of my friends and like even my brother, I looked up to him. He's two years older than me. I always felt like he kind of charted a cool course and that I was able to like kind of follow in his footsteps with my own spin on things. Uh, definitely makes it easier as the younger sibling. Um, every teacher, my brother is a really talented individual and everyone who ever met me was like, oh my goodness, you're Rob's little brother. Um, which I think was a good thing in the sense that they were like, wow, this kid's probably pretty cool too. Um, but it also set like really high standards for my own, uh, you know, achievements and stuff. So, um, yeah, I would say my family was probably my biggest influences and the people I spent the most amount of time with. So sweet. I have met your family and they are incredible. Just the best of the best. I'm so excited we get to hang out with them soon. Me too. So again, during those early years, what would you say you personally were known for back then? I was probably known most for uh, sports, I think. I think sports was like, when you're a kid, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to play in every major sports league. I was just very obsessed. And so I was constantly like practicing sports, playing sports. Um, If there was a book report to write, I would write it about sports. If there was a art thing I had to paint or draw it would be about sports too what about outside like personality wise what kind of sports person were you my personality was uh, I was very emotional I, I found I was like a very sensitive individual I felt things very deeply um, whether it was myself uh, on the receiving end of something that would make me emotional or if I saw other people experiencing something uh, it would give trigger a response within me an emotional response so like in example like sports games would be playing really well and happy and excited confident when things were going great in the game but if something bad happened in the game I remember like waves of emotions coming over me feeling like I wanted to cry uh, feeling like uh, something was unfair or um, just generally feeling like insecure or scared Um, so it was like a constant effort to kind of control that aspect of myself uh, within the uh, arena of sports and in the 90s I mean it was still very like there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in sports. Um, so, yeah, just kind of coping with the standards I knew people had for how to act and who I who I was and what I was feeling naturally. Yeah, because it's funny. Everything you just described, I think, are perfectly natural emotions. If something feels unfair, it feels unfair. If you're sad, you're sad. If you want to cry, you want to cry. I think emotions, not bad but the challenging part comes when you're a child. Yeah. Like, how do you even teach that? Like, 
it's possible that people <laughs> it's very possible that I was taught all the things that I know now but it's hard to understand as a kid like that you don't need to be insecure how to be secure how to not lash out when something that feels unjust happens to you and what makes it more challenging is being in that sports environment that you were talking about yeah. where there's no crying in baseball you're yeah. not having people you likely don't have people around you being like it's okay dan do you need to have a cry you know what i mean what was it like it was like you probably had to hide your emotions right or totally. like just channel it as anger or yeah something yeah really just like stop immediately yeah doing whatever this emotional reaction is almost feeling like i, I made a mistake by having emotions mm. um wow so like you know that was like not an appropriate response those types of things but I look back and it, it's really just, you know, I think more a function of not having tools or like mechanisms to express myself and to process things, um, to be radically honest with folks, um, you know, those types of solutions that, you know, we should develop alongside emotional capacity that we have. Love all the emotion talk. Yeah. I think it's really powerful. So thank you for sharing that stuff about your early years mm -hmm. moving forward so then you went to high school you went to college and what did you go to school for what was your job what did you do when you graduated college yeah so I went to college um, studied social sciences I was a criminal justice major with minors in sociology and law and public policy um, I was on a pre-law track um, I thought you know I want to be a lawyer I think I, I came to that conclusion after meeting some lawyers growing up and just saying like oh wow like people seem to really like when you're a young person and you say like oh I'm pre-law um, I've talked to other folks and they're like oh yeah like I just told my parents I was pre-med or like you know doing something that every like society has deemed that's a good path like you're on the right path you, you figured out your life um, and it's crazy that we ask kids like 18 19 20 you know that age group to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life uh when you barely even understood the world agreed um so yeah really thought i wanted to be a lawyer uh throughout college uh went to northeastern university shout out huskies but uh the co-op program which is like bigger internship type thing uh, i think was really helpful because i ended up working a lot of jobs related to law uh, my first job my freshman year of college that summer worked at the district attorney's office uh, in my home city and uh, really like opened my eyes up to what the criminal justice system does uh, so it's it's more than like a law and order episode it's not a tv show um, and I basically just witnessed yeah judge Judy um, I basically just witnessed like what the function of the criminal justice system is and I was on the DA side so like prosecution side of all these cases I really was just a fly on the wall every day I would go to court I would watch court um, watch cases go watch sentencings um, and I realized then like I'd never want to be a person who gets other people in trouble um, I really didn't like that concept of like I'm gonna irreparably ruin someone's life by my participation in this system damn um so yeah i you know in that experience was like oh well defense attorneys do the opposite of that they try to keep people from getting in trouble 
they hold the state and sort of powers that be accountable. So I was like, okay, well, I'll look into being on the defense side of things. That ended up leading me to go to big law firms, uh, white collar, corporate law firms that, you know, basically represent business transactions and businesses uh, themselves, but really powerful ones. Um, and I thought for a while, like, oh, this is the, the life. Go work on the other side, make more money, help people. Um, you know, help is used very uh, uniquely there because, I mean, you could argue that defending some of these organizations isn't a good thing either. But uh, that also exposed me to, like, how law works and big law works and how the business landscape of America works and, you know, what role lawyers play in that. Um, and through those experiences, realize like, oh, I don't actually want to be a lawyer at all. I don't want to work at a law firm. I don't want to be an associate, don't want to be an, a, par a partner. Um, and within a year of graduating undergrad and starting my first full-time job, I applied to grad school for public policy. Wow. And in my head, I was like, public policy will help me get the skills and the, the perspective and framework to be able to help people outside of um, being a lawyer. Damn, that's amazing that you, Thanks. because I think so many people, especially if you go to college and I imagine like it, it's just a huge investment in the States, at least you're putting a ton of money in if you have support that like there's so much like riding on that. And I completely agree that it's absurd that we ask children to decide what they want to do with their entire lives that young but I think a lot of people do go to college get a degree and realize that what they studied isn't what they actually want to do or feel good about doing mm -hmm. their whole life and sadly I think a lot of people either due to necessity or because they think that's the only way don't go back to school or don't pivot or don't find another job so I think that's huge that you were, was that a hard decision or were you just like, oh, don't like this, um, doesn't feel right, going to go back to school? Like that, I think that's actually a massive decision and you're making it sound like yeah. NBD, but. It definitely was hard to navigate um, because I didn't quit the law firm life. Yeah. When I went to grad school, I was um, sort of masochistic in the sense that I was like, oh, like I'll just do my full-time job and then also go to school at night. When you were, you realized, oh, I don't want to do this as like my career. Was it just you looking at people further along in, in the career path you were on thinking, okay, I don't want to be them? Or were you actively also not enjoying your work? Good question. I, I, I would say like I did enjoy the work until I didn't. And I don't remember the exact day when I stopped enjoying the work, but I know that you know, I, I went to one big law firm, eventually went to another one. And at that second one, I really had a moment of like, I looked around the room and just was not inspired by anyone I was with. In fact, I was like kind of cringing at um, the toxicity that supposed leaders were allowing their organizations to have and function with um, and saying, you know, that this just doesn't sit with me at all. Like, I don't think this is what leadership looks like. I don't think this is what good work or interesting works look, work looks like. Um, so, yeah. Can you talk about what you mean by, like, toxicity? Like, I don't know anything about law firms or big law or really I haven't had many, like, corporate jobs either. So 
what what are the standards there like what is viewed as good leadership or a what makes a person a good worker that that didn't sit right with you yeah law firms are like a lot i think of corporate america where it's very high stakes um there's a whole level of prestige that is required to even get interviews at those places they're very exclusionary in the sense that if you didn't go to certain colleges and get certain grades we're not even going to entertain hiring someone um never really a, a fan of that whole concept uh but once you're there it's a bunch of other folks who are a lot like you um and you know in terms of like toxic things i witnessed there uh you know an expectation that you never ever make mistakes mistakes are um punishable in the sense that you know you lose your reputation will fire you at any moment um so really high risk high reward um in terms of like poor leadership that i saw was pitting employees against each other pitting uh, employees against management um you know we talk a lot I think now post pandemic or, you know, within this pandemic of like reassessing the relationship to work, um, there was always a, an underlying norm of your work is your life. You are here as long as we need you every day and you must perform really high. You must be capable of self-sacrifice, um, basically have no boundaries whatsoever. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I witnessed bullying and, uh, you know, people just getting really uh, treated poorly uh, on a day-to-day basis wow. and trying to, you know, self-preserve myself and navigate around those things while also being like, this is wrong and I, I don't necessarily love this no. uh, work in the, the culture that it, it breeds. You know, That's so sad. I'm... And I'm like acting appalled because I think I've been, because it is appalling. And I've been, I mean, I guess I consider myself lucky to have never been in that world. But I also recognize that you are describing, I think, corporate America in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like that, sadly, I, I imagine is common. Mm-hmm. Like I'm acting like, oh my God, I can't believe you went through that because I can't. And at the same time, it's normal here. Yeah which is crazy. It is. Um, so I see why you left <laughs> or decided to leave, which is cool that you played the long game. You weren't like, oh, well, I quit. I'm out. Um, but you did that alongside going to school. You go to school for public policy. Then what? You fall in love with public policy and you are working in public policy now? Or how did, no. what What did you learn there? Yeah. Good question. So in in grad school, studying public policy, um, realized, I think, about midway through my degree that, like, government isn't necessarily the solution to everything. Um, and I, I, I say that it's a very loaded statement. Um, but what I'm saying is that I don't think the government is interested always in solving problems. I find that very frustrating. I know lots of folks uh, in this world are on the receiving end of that. You know, we don't have good nice things because we just don't really care there are too many interests on the other side saying no we want to preserve the status quo Um, and i think that's very dangerous we've seen that play out countless times in our lifetime 
So yeah, really almost became disillusioned by this concept of like, oh, I'll go work for a campaign or I'll run for office or I'll go work for the government. Um, and recognizing like, we're actually not going to move the ball forward at all. And um, that's really disheartening as someone who's passionate about helping people and wanting to make a difference in the world and being joined like grad school is amazing for the sense that you build this network and cohort of folks who are also super passionate about the world and want to see the change and be a part of it um so i became like disillusioned i was like big corporate life is toxic i it's going to burn me out uh working for the government will be a never-ending game of not achieving and that led me to discover or think about like what organizations are actually changing the world right now that aren't big corporations and they're not the government. And uh, that's where I landed on startups and tech companies in general. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. This is amazing, I think. Again, you keep talking about it, I imagine, because it's your story and your life as if it's like no big deal. But what was it like when you realized everything you just described about public policy, the government? Because I imagine it happened when you were in grad school like kind yeah. of it's too late you're not going to just you weren't like a one class in like just kidding I'm not going to get my degree yeah again you made the decision to stay committed to your original intention behind going to grad school which is which was I really actually like the common thread I see so far is like you actually want to help people mm -hmm. so I think it's very noble of you and bold of you to have stayed with that commitment of like, oh, I realized this public policy government thing isn't what I thought, so I'm gonna pivot to the startup world, which I'm excited to talk about. But what was that actually like? Were you like, I just invested a bunch of money? Was there any, like going back to emotions, what was that like? Or were you just like, oh, I'm gonna make the most of it? You know, like it didn't affect yeah. you that much. It's a good question. Um, I don't think like the money factor was ever really like, oh, like I regretted investing in education. Um, I always felt really good about investing in my own education and my own self, like self-development. Even if you weren't like Even had if the it, same yeah, exactly. title as your yep. degree or something. Yeah. Like I, I really am a big believer that like we should stop having tracks for folks, uh, quote unquote tracks of like, Hey, you study this, then you study this, then you work this. Um, I believe that it's like the best professionals I've worked with come from a variety of backgrounds and they invested in themselves. They learned what they learned because that's what they were interested in. But it opens up a lot of new connections and um, opportunities to, to apply skills in new ways. Overall, though, I mean, it was very disheartening, like almost as disheartening as realizing like, oh, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. Oh, this thing I'm uh, studying and going to get a degree in isn't necessarily going to be what equates to happiness. And I, I really think there's a ton of value as someone who's gone through multiple iterations of themselves or evolutions to discuss, like learn so you can discover what exactly you want to do. Not that you're on a track, but it, I think what's really helpful about taking jobs or studying new things is that you quickly learn, is that like, do I actually even enjoy this? Or is this the dream I had? And being okay with the fact that it doesn't have to be. I think a lot of value comes not from liking a job, but from disliking a job. Saying, oh, I like parts of that, some parts I don't. And that you don't have to embrace all of it 
as being, okay, well, I made a choice once and therefore I have to live my life like that. I think uh, if we're being really self-aware and in the present with what we're working on and studying, it helps us sort of formulate a very unique path for ourselves. I love that. I think that's, I think that's new. Like I, I'm suddenly feeling sad for the people that in this generation, but also particularly like older generations that either never had that option or like didn't allow themselves to carve out that their own unique path or ask themselves what that might look like. Because it's literally, I think a new concept to actually advocate for yourself in that way. So it's really powerful that you did that for yourself at the time you're in grad school. You're still in this law job that you no, you don't want to be in forever and is like this toxic work environment it sounds like how were you coping like how are you caring for yourself what were you spending your time doing yeah. outside of work yeah I would say uh wasn't really coping with anything um at that time like I think I had a very like standard approach to life um, in the sense that like my social uh, engagement outside of work was really um, fueled by alcohol (laughs) and like fueled by (laughs) sounds like a sponsorship yeah this concept that like if you work hard you play hard and I mean the amount of times I heard that said to me by leaders or things like that I thought it was very normal to drink every night or drink several times a week or every single social gathering I went to involved alcohol um would go out with classmates after class we all get drinks we go out as a company with colleagues after work we get a drink weekend comes it's time for me and my friends and we all drink and so i think drinking was like a massive part and i think it's a huge part of just corporate culture in general it's a huge part of american culture in general totally Um, but kind of word is like this badge of honor of like, oh, I can, I can drink and I can achieve a lot. And like, that's, I'm living the American dream. I'm the guy who works hard and plays hard. And I didn't really have a lot of skills to deal with feelings or just emotions. I I didn't have any productive, healthy coping mechanisms. So I think a lot of it went into alcohol, uh, to like numb myself or to feel a different way. Um, and thus feel better about my life. Um, the worst part about alcohol, though, is that, like, it feels good for a moment. A couple hours, you feel buzzed or happy or, you know, those feelings of uh, releasing the neg- negativity. Um, but then hangovers come into play. And so, mm-hmm. like, I think that was a huge part as I got into my, you know, mid to late 20s, realizing that, like, oh, my goodness, my body is, like, straight up not enjoying this ride at all and like um you know just hangovers that take 24 to 48 to 72 hours um feeling like I'm gonna throw up when I wake up or um you know getting so drunk that you you know forget things happen or uh don't really feel in control and uh you know around that time I was like 27 years old uh really you know four years out of college and working this grind of school and work I really just like sat with the the sadness that like alcohol is not the solution um unfortunately I wish it was I wish there was this way to to be able to do all these things at once but realize like I cannot afford financially mentally physically emotionally to pour the remaining time of my life into into drinking and partying 
um, and yeah, it was really sad. It was like, you know, oh my gosh, this career path that I chose is not bringing me happiness. Uh, that's sad. Oh my gosh, this thing I'm studying in graduate school isn't the key to all my problems. Therefore, that's sad. And my like favorite hobby outside of work is also really not helping me at all. Um, so almost feeling kind of uh, like conned, like I got gypped or scammed to believing this American dream that like, hey, as long as you got a career that you like and you're good at, you can party, you know, all these norms just came crashing down on me. So I really had to step back and like mourn the loss of myself that had yeah. believed all these things and kind of just start questioning what exactly I, you know, should be doing in life and uh, reprioritizing work as not like a thing I do to make money, but a thing I do to learn and develop as a human being. Free time, how do I spend it? Who do I spend it with? What activities help me? Um, then just personally, like, what do I want to get out of life in general? Um, I think that's a really critical question. Um, I wanted to have an experience where I developed and evolved over time and that I could witness former selves of myself uh, die and rise from the ashes as new, better versions of myself. Um, and yeah, all of that led me to like really questioning, why am I drinking? Can I stop drinking? Can I be social? Can I live in a major city and have a social life that doesn't involve alcohol? But um, yeah, it eventually led me to like stopping drinking and learning a ton of coping mechanisms and tools in my toolbox. And uh, yeah, that that was it. Wow. When were you like, okay, this is bad. Like I'm actually going to stop. Yeah. So it was like 2017. I had moved to Chicago towards the end of 2014. So it was like three years in living here. Decided I'd take two months off or take a week off, really. It started with a week. This is like summer 2017. And I like was at a point where I was like, can I actually just go a week without drinking? And did that. Felt good. So I just kept going. I'd add another week on, week on. Uh, got to like two full months, no drinking. Um, and then I ended up going back to drinking because I was like, oh, look, I just conquered this thing. Like, I'm good. Like, I know I can take two months off at any time. Mm. Um, ended up drinking then again for like another on and off, you know, two to three months until we got to December 2017. And almost like not wanting to accept the fact that like, hey, alcohol can't be part of this, this plan for me personally. Yeah. I, you know, certain people can drink and have fun and be fine. But for me, it was it was uh, a negative. And so I had to wrap my head around the fact that this is not going to yield benefits, um, which is sad. It's like losing a friend almost, you know, and feeling silly and embarrassed that like, oh, I thought that was the key. And um, which is just it's unfortunate. But it led me to eventually like surrounded by friends and family one night at a party night. Uh, just like saying that's my last drink and I'm good and uh, you know everyone in my family and friend group drinks to this day most of them um, and it wasn't this big like intervention or anything like that it was more just me saying I did it for two months I can do it again and I'm going to try to go a week a day um, and as I went through that like it's really intense uh, emotionally like not only like losing this outlet but having to uh, confront the fact that like 
I have to now build real self-confidence. I have to learn how to talk to people when I'm sober and they're maybe drinking. And you're also, exactly, you're still in the environment of other people drinking. It's not like you're... Totally. Okay, now I'm just going to hang out with sober people. Right. You're still working at the law firm in corporate America where... Yeah. 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 That's an uphill battle. Totally. And yeah, if you're someone with anxiety, alcohol helps that a lot. You know, it makes us or for me it made me feel less anxious made me feel more confident funnier sillier smarter all these things uh that's how advertising gets to you when it comes to alcohol hey have this thing you'll be a hot person who <laughs> other hot people like that's literally most ads it's <laughs> disgusting so true um <laughs> And the concept of like, you deserve this, you deserve that yes. beer or that wine. Um, I found that all to be bullshit as I was going through the experience. I was like, no, no, it doesn't like, doesn't help at all. And so, yeah, it really became this like process of now relearning how to socialize sober. What do I do when I feel sad, uh, happy, mad, sad? I had to really go through those uncomfortable times. And as any, if anyone's trying to stop drinking, it does get easier. It gets better. Probably took me four to five months of not drinking before I felt like just a brand new human being. Wow. Um, capable of going to social events without drinking. Capable of uh, when I feel things, I can do other things. I have a toolkit. I have skills. Um, resources I found really helpful. Stop drinking Reddit. R slash stop drinking. It's a support group in your pocket. Uh, amazing resource just other people sharing their experience um, and in reading that you know there's people who are 30 40 years older than me realizing I need to stop drinking now I've been doing this for 50 years of my life and you know some serious serious carnage is occurring as a result I didn't really ever use like AA or you know other like therapy or things like that but I am very close with my family and you know I told them hey I'm gonna stop doing this and hope that you can support me on it and them being like the amazing human beings they are they're like of course like we're here for you we want to help you be the best version of you um, mm -hmm. so yeah really I think it's absolutely necessary to have a support network when you're making massive life changes like that whether it's a friend or your family or even just a support group online. Uh, there's so many good resources out there. There's no one way to get sober. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, it's important for folks to know that, that they, there are options out there. And, you know, I, I guess I'm a little non-traditional in the sense that, like, I didn't have, like, a rock-bottom moment that you hear about a lot. Um, and I certainly feel a lot of empathy for folks who do have that epic moment of, like, things are really tough right now. And like, this is really rock bottom. But I eventually just sort of said, if I don't want to have a rock bottom, I have to stay sober. And um, that was enough motivation for me to, to continue on the path mm -hmm. and continue working through it. And now I'm four and a half years sober. And Damn. I've now worked in tech and startups for four years. Wow. And um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I always say, like, I'm not going to drink again until I have a million dollars. Or at least that's what I said when I uh, first started or first stopped drinking. But I think eventually um, I'm, I'm never going to go back. <laughs> like, there's no mm. there's no benefit to me. Uh, I, you know, done a lot of cost benefit analysis. If you work in risk, this is part of your job. 
And I just don't see any value in, in drinking alcohol health-wise, mentally, emotionally, goals-wise. It just it doesn't help me. Yeah, I totally feel that. I feel the same way. First of all, that's incredible. I give you so Thanks. much credit for doing all of that, quitting the drinking in the environment that you were in, going through the other losses that you were going through. It's amazing. And it's so cool to just, yeah, hear more about like the, the details of that part of your life. And I feel the same way with my relationship with alcohol. First of all, you've helped me with, with my relationship with alcohol because I, when I met you was not, not drinking. I was just drinking kind of sporadically, nothing crazy. I never had a rock bottom moment either, but I knew alcohol was not good for me. Like I very distinctly remember drinking one night by myself in my apartment years ago and I was just like I knew I love this in a sick kind of way totally I I want to love only this you know what I mean it was not good and was also sad to realize like I this can't this can't be my love (laughs) but it was powerful I'm glad that I had that self-awareness to recognize if I keep doing this, I will hit a rock bottom yeah. because I can sense this voracious, what's the word I'm looking for? Like this like insatiable yeah. desire for this thing. So uh, yeah, I didn't mean to turn this into like a sobriety podcast, but if there is anybody out there that is looking to quit or like reassess their relationship with alcohol, absolutely encourage you to do that. Yeah check out the resources that you mentioned if you do happen to be looking for resources laura mccowan the luckiest club are great online resources there are so many people out there and so many support groups out there but even just following some of those accounts is so helpful and Mm -hmm. obviously having like an accountability buddy almost or just somebody that you're in it with is really helpful as well so i'm very grateful to you for helping to inspire me to just actually stop drinking Mm -hmm. at least for now i melissa urban talks a lot about the approach of when people ask if she's drinking she just says i'm not drinking right now yeah and i really like that for me because mentally it's like there's not this pressure to never drink for the rest of my life it's kind of what you were saying like can i not drink for this very moment or this day or this week or whatever and you know days and days over time can add up to a lifetime or a large part of your life and that's really significant so I think it's so cool I'm so grateful that you don't drink we say all the time that we're grateful we don't drink and have found other ways to have fun that don't Mm -hmm. you know knock you out for a day or two afterwards also don't want to knock alcohol entirely no neither of us are saying are advocating that everybody on the planet stops drinking we want everyone to do as best for them but I think the large majority of messaging out there is what you're saying if you want to be hot (laughs) if you want to be successful if you want to feel good drink and so no other industry can market to you the way alcohol does and not be called a scam you know products that are like hey we'll change your life take this pill that's kind of what alcohol is telling you is like your life is going to be way better than when it's not when you're not consuming our product don't be a wuss right get hammered with us you know yeah come poison yourself with us and it's also like i think like alcohol like again like exposing like lies or just like norms that we are all taught to believe alcohol kills more people than 
every other drug combined each year. Wow. We don't talk about that. We talk about, oh, we have really bad other drug problems in our society. We do. And we have a problem with alcohol in our society. It's all a spectrum. And we constantly tell ourselves that like, hey, it's not a problem. As long as you're able to show up to work tomorrow, you're good, you know? And I think like myself included, but a lot of folks, like we fall into part of the spectrum where we're like, I don't think I have a drinking problem, but I am drinking quite often. Um, I do feel better when I'm drunk. I do not like being hung over, but I feel like it's a byproduct of wanting to engage with alcohol. And so like just being conscious that um, there are other options out there and that you don't have to keep following that path if you don't yes. feel it's helping you. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. That's so powerful. I really do feel like we could do like an entire s- yeah. sobriety alcohol episode because there's are like more questions I want to ask you. But for mm-hmm. the sake of time, fast forwarding to today, tell us what you do today and how you feel about it. Yeah. Um, so today I'm a product manager at a tech company and um, what was beautiful going back to the story of us getting laid off is that, you know, about a month later, different startup in Chicago was hiring folks. Uh, one of my friends from grad school worked there and he said, hey, send me your resume. I'll talk to some folks here. Found this company um, and they had the opposite trajectory of the first startup I went to. The first startup I went to laid us all off eventually. This one did so well that they actually got acquired by an even bigger tech company, um, which was an amazing sort of achievement. And uh, so the exit to being acquired by a bigger tech company led to more opportunities for success. Very grateful to work with people who like saw my potential and were able to give me big opportunities to, to grow and learn. And yeah, I'm a product manager now. I manage a payments product and a fascinating world of transacting funds between people, um, how to grow customers with a good payments product. Um, Really enjoy the product space. I think it's like a very natural arena for me to thrive in. Uh, As someone who's like always sort of been in leadership positions on teams, um, but servant leadership and really listening to your people. The other half of product is discovery and like learning. It's really asking questions like, why is it this happening? And having to then solve for it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love being a product manager. Love just being able to solve problems every day. It's a lot of strategy. It's a lot of, uh, thinking creatively. It's a ton of emotional intelligence. I would say that's the most critical skill I get to practice every day. And that feels really good. And um, at the end of the day, it's, it's fun as heck to get to own decisions and actually make impacts on a product that millions of people use every single day. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. It's so cool. It does sound like a very good match for your skill set. It very much sounds like you have, quote unquote, made it. Like, in, And I'm not yeah. saying that you haven't in a lot of ways, but part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast is because like even the people who have seemingly made it have challenges. Yeah. And so tell me about the challenges. What are the harder aspects of either your role or even just like working now? Yeah. I mean, really good question. Definitely want to be very clear. Like I don't have it all figured out and I'm constantly still going through this process of like, is this what I want? 
uh, how does this benefit me? What can I contribute? How can I grow? Um, the, the really hard parts are that it's kind of foreign. Like I'm a first year PM. So like I, I'm still learning a lot of fundamentals and skills. And so I found a tremendous amount of value by like forming strong connections with people who are way smarter than I am that are very technically inclined, ask them questions, grow, learn together. Other challenges I face figuring out like, is this what I want to do for the next five years or is it for a couple years? Um, before I joined this startup, I was actually working on my own tech company idea. Um, I had pitched, I'd written a white paper, a business plan, taken it to an incubator, gotten good feedback, interest. Um, and then I was like, well, I, I need to make some money right now and I need a job and I need, this seems like a great opportunity to learn. Um, so yeah, eventually knowing like my end goal is to build my own thing where I set my own rules, I set my own hours, um, I build a product that does a specific thing that I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I struggle with most is being able to like keep in, keep the long term in perspective of, you know, this is helping me on my path, but it's not the end of my path and I mm -hmm. it's not making it. It's just another stepping stone that's going to help me develop more and eventually, hopefully, lead me to where I want to be. Yeah, that's so cool. It's it's cool that now that you've been through these iterations of, you know, like, oh, I'm going to become a lawyer or, oh, I'm going to study public policy. Or, like, this is what's going to, you know, be the thing or yep. solve it or how I'm going to help solve the problems of the world. It's cool that now you've shifted your approach entirely and acknowledged that what you're doing now, which is a really good and I think in a lot of ways fulfilling thing, you recognize that even that is not the, like, not yeah. it, not the end of the road, not the arrival. It's a continuous process of growth and totally moving in a direction that hopefully constantly feels a little bit better for yeah. you even though where you are at now feels good, I think, mostly, yeah. which is good and what we want. I think that's very, very cool. So we talked about how you, when you were working at the law firm, self-care wasn't exactly there, maybe beyond using alcohol to help you feel better. So you're not drinking now. Now, how do you care for yourself? Like, what are some of the, have you developed or like acquired some more tools in your tool belt for taking care of yourself and also having fun, which I feel like is part of self-care. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like couldn't stay sober without skills and like tools. Um, and there, I, I see them kind of as both. Uh, so like number one thing, being able to breathe, just taking time to breathe. Uh, Wimp shout out Wim Hof breathing Yeah. When method. you say breathe, you don't mean like just yeah. Breathe. You mean like you do serious breathing? Yeah. Exercises. Serious breathing exercises. Uh, that was a godsend. So wait, what's it called for people? If you're interested, it's very powerful. Wim, W I M, Hoff, H O F. He's a. Is he Dutch? He's uh, the Iceman. The no, Iceman. I actually don't know um, anything beyond that. But yeah, it's a series of breathing exercises you can do that uh, really just have chemical effects on the body very similar to how alcohol or drugs impact our body on a chemical level what i love so much about it is that it, it grounds me in my body um and reminds me like i am capable and yeah i absolutely love it that's my like go-to if i have five minutes i'm feeling anxious five minutes uh it's all it takes really to do one round of breathing it's loving to ourselves to 
breathe and make sure that we're getting full oxygen. That's very powerful. I definitely like hold my breath when I'm anxious, which only makes my body panic more. So very powerful. So Wim Hof, what else do you do? Big fan of cold water. This Mm -hmm. is part of the Wim Hof method. Cold showers, go into a cold lake, go into a cold ocean, take that plunge. Um, What I really like is that it shuts off my brain from everything else that matters. It means when I go into cold water, this is the only thing I'm doing right now. And this is the only thing I can do. Uh, So it's like clearing. It clears my head very effectively to get cold. I start laughing maniacally. Um, I really just have such joy in the pain of being cold. And I think like we do our best to like limit the amount of uncomfortability um, we find in our lives. I find that diving into the uncomfort or the discomfort is really where a lot of power comes from. Uh, Reminding ourselves that I'm capable of walking in Chicago, zero degree weather, negative 30 with a wind chill. Uh, I can do that in shorts and a t-shirt if I want to. I can jump into Lake Michigan in February and it's 40 degrees and be okay. So like cold water, breathing, two Mm -hmm. number ones. Cold water is also awesome, just have to say. It's weird to be like, do you want to go be in some pain in really cold water together right now? But (laughs) it's so fun. Like it, It really is. And I can definitely attest to the anxiety piece where like I run very high on the anxiety scale and you just simply cannot feel anxious after a cold plunge it like just freezes it off of you it doesn't mean that the anxiety is not going to come back eventually but it's a really beautiful way to reset I love that you do that and have also helped me foster my love for that too yeah and grateful that you joined me other things i really like doing meditation critical i'm a huge walker i started doing walks like probably around 2017 when i wanted to start getting sober i just had all this free time and energy helps you fall asleep but it more than anything is like a meditation for me i'll go 10 12 15 miles and just love it i love being on an adventure uh it's really a great way i think to just release lots of emotions and feelings as well as like meditate on positive things and I I just love that aspect of it I love walking other things hydration I probably I drink so much water it's ridiculous especially like someone who liked alcohol at some point water is just it's the best like there's nothing that compares to a, a nice glass or water bottle full of water gets you drunk like nothing else yeah it's really just like basic needs. Yeah, it's ba- like how I think like we should probably like help children. Like Yeah. Here's how you can take care of the body that you're in for the rest of your life. And yeah, like for me a big part of health and wellness is it's got to be free. It can't be I cannot afford to go to classes. Uh I'm not asking for permission from anyone to indulge in self-care. Mm, and yeah. so making it so easy and free and accessible that I can just do it whenever. That is so powerful to me. I love that all of your things are super accessible and don't cost anything. And they bring you joy. And that's really beautiful. I feel like there's other stuff you do for fun too. Like you talked about learning. You learn about everything under the sun. And speaking of free, where do you usually learn your stuff? Yeah, YouTube. YouTube. It's just an incredible resource. Yeah, I really like 
learning, constantly trying to learn. It's one of my flow states. Like I just feel so good when I'm learning about something that I don't know a lot about, or even if I do know a lot about it, hearing other people talk about it, other perspectives, super like helpful uh, to be able to digest all that information, make my own informed uh, decisions and opinions on things. Love the feeling of starting something new and having to be bad at it. I think that's a super humbling uh, mechanism in my life where I can't get too cocky because I actually am not very good at X thing. Mm-hmm. Super grounding. What I love about it is that each time I do it, I get a little bit stronger. And again, it's like mm-hmm. Kaizen, a little bit better every single day. I'm never going to be perfect, but I can always be growing a little yeah. bit. I love that. I also think when it comes to fun, something yeah. I think you're so good at and you've really brought out in me too is being so silly yeah you're like this has been a pretty like serious conversation not overly serious but you're one of the like fun funniest silliest people thank you that i know and you've made me weirder (laughs) in a good way yeah like i think we we lose that ability to be silly and it makes sense like our society as like a norm is like you be professional you be and it's not to say like hey go around and be ridiculous and like obnoxious it's it's being like happy i always think it's like stand up but improv plus just being uh like a child yeah that's a huge outlet and like a lot of fun too to like navigate the world as a sober person and this started probably a couple years into like a year into my journey of like not drinking but when I go out with people who are drinking, like I get the same energy that they're feeling, which is like, yeah, like the world is <laughs> awesome. Let's ride this. And it's like, I'm drinking a soda water and lime and I'm right there with them. Yeah, let's go. Like, um, and so like really like just being around human beings like that gives us that quote unquote drunk feeling. Um, but I'm completely sober and I just really love being silly and funny and like not taking anything too seriously i think that's a really critical part of just maintaining mental health yeah totally i'm trying to think we've been going for a while now so we should probably wrap up if money were no object what would you do if money were no object um would love to like not have a job i think my ultimate goal is to not work at all and have all of my financial needs taken care of um so if money was not an object i would say i'd probably just hike all the time uh go to the beach all the time just spend as much time in nature as i possibly could Mm -hmm. uh, as much time with family and friends as i possibly could um sleep as much as i want uh just live my life sober (laughs) normal (laughs) Um, doing the things I, I really get a lot of satisfaction and joy from. Yeah. Like um, take even better care of yourself. Yeah. Basically. Totally. And yeah, like traveling, I would do that very regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm honestly trying to do that with my like whole life plan of the next couple of years is like, I want to live in several different places throughout a year, whether it's on the East coast with my family and friends, whether it's in Chicago, uh, whether it's somewhere warm, I want to be able to bounce between places and Mm -hmm. optimize it as much as possible to avoid winter pretty much, but uh, to really just go and see as much as I possibly can on this earth. Uh, It's a massive place and we only have so much time here. 
It is pretty massive. Yeah. So how do you kind of reconcile the current reality with what you would ideally like to do, knowing that this sounds like pessimistic, but knowing that that will never happen in the sense that money is never not going to matter, probably barring something really crazy. So it sounds like at least part of your process is building in elements of what you want your ultimate, you know, utopia heavenly existence to be like yep is there anything else or anything like mentally i i feel like i struggle mentally and i guess i this might just be like my pisces rose-colored glasses my desire for us to truly all all live in a perfect heavenly bubble where we all love each other and have no problems and don't need money and just take care of each other and i think i'm personally just like experiencing a new level of of grieving knowing that that's never going to happen at least in this in this reality in this lifetime so maybe more mentally how do you cope mentally yeah in this oftentimes brutal world yeah (laughs) it's a good question um again learning through this not an expert at it but i think it really helps to keep everything in in some like uh it's like i gotta have a job but is it something I'm enjoying? Is it something I'm getting value from every day? Okay, I can feel a little bit better about my job. Outside of my job, um, what am I spending my time doing? Am I setting myself up for the ultimate goal that I'm working on? Uh, so it's all like keeping it in in the sum uh, perspective of this is all going to have to occur at the same time, but I can make little improvements, little progress on each of these goals every single day. Um, and being okay with that, recognizing that like, hey, it's not gonna be perfect tomorrow, it's not gonna mm-hmm. be perfect a year from now, but over five years, I could be 5% closer to where I wanna be. So I think I really just get a lot of joy from that process of yeah. life and having to assess where I'm at, where I wanna go, and how do the, all these pieces fit together, and how can I make sure I feel good about all of it? Um, and if I don't feel good, that's the alarm bell to, hey, we got to change parts of this. Um, And whether that's work or uh, outside of work, being so in touch with the plan and the goal and the process that it's very natural to um, change and evolve through it as I need to. Yeah, I think that's, that's powerful. I think I'm in very much of a feeling stage. Like I'm grieving, I'm in like the anger stage where I'm like, everything's unfair and people out there like I'm I'm a privilege like I'm the privileged one and I'm feeling frustrated like this is so unfair for even take me out of it like the people that are not privileged that are marginalized or whatever like I'm just I'm a ball of feelings and what I'm hearing from you is like you sound like somebody that has you've processed through the current reality in such a way that you now have a very high level of awareness of the systems that we're living in of reality of the limitations of the frustrations and you have a high level of ownership over the elements that you can control and that's very refreshing to hear and inspiring for myself to hear so i just i yeah thank you for sharing that why don't we wrap up how can people find you is there any way we can support you yeah um I do have an Instagram account, but I don't really log in there quite often. So you can find me. I just may not be there. (laughs) Um, Daniel.creative 
on Instagram if you like cityscapes, skylines, nature. Um, that's mainly what I post there. Find me on LinkedIn, Daniel Durning. When I eventually launch my own company, I'll be sure to come back and do an episode yeah, and tell you more about that. But catch me um, in Chicago, on the East Coast, sometimes the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, I'm always here to help folks uh, and support folks. Uh, we're all going through this together. And uh, yeah, I always just want to be a lighthouse for others and uh, recognize that I have so much to learn from others as well. So um, yeah, just find me out there. You're the sweetest. Oh, thanks, Bibs. I love you. I love you, Thank too. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing more of your story with us, more about who you are and what you're doing here. And I hope you'll come back. Thank you. I would love that. Someday soon. Yeah. And in the meantime, I feel like we should go outside. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's see if this recorded. Thank you for listening to Who Are You and What Are You Doing Here? We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you enjoyed the podcast and you haven't already, please be sure to like and review the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to ask questions or give feedback to us directly, please visit bibs.live contact and reach out to us there. We'd love to hear your feedback. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast or channel depending on where you're listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.